0: Thank you, ladies. Let's stand and open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Matthew chapter 28. Of course, we'll be talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 6. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. For fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Fear not, Eve, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. I'm going to ask Brother Sutton to lead us in prayer this morning. Amen. You may be seated. It's Sunday morning, the first day of the week. These ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary, and a few others, they come here to the tomb. I personally do not enjoy going to the graveyard. I don't enjoy... The environment, oftentimes, now that I'm getting a little bit older, I uh, walk uh, through those graves and think that at some point that's going to to be me. And so I prefer to avoid uh, those places. But here they're gathered at the tomb. And I know some of you have traveled. You've been to the tombs of famous people. I remember as a young teenager traveling to Washington, D.C., there to Mount Vernon seeing the tomb of our first president, George Washington. Several years ago, Brother Troy Green and I went to Europe. And we were in Luxembourg, which is a very small country. And he said, Preacher, let's run over and see the military uh, graveyard. They have a World War II military cemetery near Ham. And he said, General Patton is buried there. And I remember in a hurry to this day, I don't know why, we were in such a hurry to go see uh, a tomb. If I'm going to sightsee, I prefer to see something else. But he wanted to drive over there and see it. And we showed up about 6:30 that evening, and they'd actually shut the gates at about six. And you know, Brother Troy, he got out of the car and convinced them to open the gates, and we walked in all by ourselves. It was freezing cold, and I, I wanted a coffee, but he wanted to see this gravesite, so he went out, and saluted, and we saw all those crosses in perfect alignment. And uh, stood over his tomb for just a minute. And he was in deep meditation. And I was telling him, let's get in the car and go find a coffee, <laughs> Troy. But if, if you were to look in each one of those caskets, you'd see the same thing. A bunch of bones and dust. And uh, that's not what they found here at this grave in this tomb. You could travel today to Medina in Saudi Arabia and find the tomb of Muhammad. You could go to kufu in shandong province of china and find the dust and the ashes and the bones of confucius you could travel and see every religious leader of every age at some point has died and they're still in the grave but this morning when they showed up at this tomb to their surprise uh, they found nothing now look at what they see in verse 2 behold There was a great earthquake. Now, this was not caused by the resurrection, but rather by the arrival of the angels that were sent. Two angels are sent. This chapter mentions one. The angel of the Lord descended from heaven. He came. He rolled back that stone. Now, here's what's surprising. These Pharisees and the chief priests and the Romans believed in Christ's word, and they understood what he said when he spoke of a resurrection after three days. Yet the disciples and Christ's followers, they totally missed it. They had sent, the Romans had put a great stone in front of that grave and they'd sealed it with the Roman seal, which meant no one was supposed to mess with this because the punishment would be imprisonment or possibly even death. And there's a guard out front. Look what it says. And for fear of him when he shows up. Now... I don't know what the countenance being like lightning means exactly, but how many of you seem lightning? Can you imagine a man's countenance being like lightning? Those that stood by the keepers for fear of him, they did shake and they became as dead men. So when these ladies show up, they, they're greeted by an angel. The guards are laying on the ground as if they were dead. Uh, and the angel said unto the women, Fear not. Now, we know that there had been great fear and trepidation. You have to understand now for three days, their Messiah, their King, their Savior had been in the tomb. The Bible tells us in John chapter 20 that Mary stands without, Mary Magdalene was standing without weeping. Now, I've been to graveyards. The only time I've gone and wept was standing over the grave of my father. I love my dad. What a great man what a great pastor what a great christian four years ago he passed away and occasionally we've gone out and stood over his grave but that's the only place that i have wept over a grave and there's mary magdalene how many remember her story she'd been possessed by seven demons her past life was atrocious and that woman was in love with her savior not a physical type of love but as a child of god and she'd been redeemed washed in the blood of the lamb her life had changed drastically now imagine how she had suffered over the past three days because everyone around her knew of her previous life i imagine even there at calvary that she had been taunted that they had laughed that they said mary uh, now that your dreams have been crushed now that you're back to reality we knew this wouldn't last you going to come to the bar tonight you coming out to party with us this weekend hey mary that jesus man that you followed he's done he's dead it's all over don't tell me you're going to go to church this weekend with your savior in the grave i can't imagine what she had faced over those three days And she'd been doing a lot of weeping. And here she comes. She stands outside uh, of the tomb. The angel greets her and says, Fear not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. Now, can you imagine if you were going to a tomb, you're going to a grave to leave some flowers or to remember the passing of a loved one, and there was an angel standing there saying, Uh, I know who you're seeking, but he's not here. You would be concerned to see that grave open and empty. And he said, uh, the next words, he is risen. Now look what it says. As he said. Just like he said. The only problem was they never understood the teaching. Now go back with me to Matthew chapter 12 for just a minute. Because Christ had spoken often of his death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 38, the scribes and the Pharisees, they are tempting him. They're seeking a sign. They say, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said to them, I'm only going to give you one sign. What is that sign? And even an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall be no sign given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas... For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And uh, although he spoke these words, the disciples were clueless to what he was speaking about. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 16. In chapter 16 he asked them listen there are people who are confused over who i am some think i'm john the baptist some think i'm elias others think i'm Jeremiah. but he says uh, unto the disciples verse 15 whom say ye that i am Simon peter answered and says thou art the christ the son of the living god Amen. but what was going through his mind the previous chapter he had just fed thousands he had His followers were growing by the day. Uh, many were hoping to crown this man king. Uh, and then as soon as Peter says, Thou art the Christ, you're divine. You're the Son of God. Uh, look what he says in verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and to be killed and be raised again the third day. Now, moments after Peter recognizes him as the very Son of God, Christ begins to explain to them, I'm not going to establish my throne this time, at this moment, upon the earth. That's what they were hoping for. They were hoping that he'd rise up, and free them from the Roman rule, establish his kingdom... And they truly thought that was going to happen in a matter of months or years. And Jesus would be the one at this moment to do that. And then, to their great surprise, he starts talking about a crucifixion and a resurrection. They did not understand. Matter of fact, look how Peter responds in verse 22. Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord This shall not be unto thee. Not only do they not understand, not only do they not believe, he actually begins to rebuke the Lord Jesus Christ for speaking of a crucifixion and a resurrection. Now, why is it that his enemies and that the scribes and the Pharisees and the Romans could understand when he prophesied of his death And he spoke of a resurrection. Why is it that they could understand much better than the disciples? Because the disciples, their thoughts were prejudiced by the prophecies of a coming king establishing a kingdom, and they thought now was that time. So when he spoke of his death, they just couldn't understand it. Look what it says in chapter 20, verse 18. Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and the son of man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Now, wouldn't you think that after he had taught this and preached this, as many times as he'd mentioned it, don't you think that all of his followers, they said, okay, he prophesied his crucifixion. He prophesied his death, and it happened. But also at the end of that teaching, he spoke of coming out of the grave three days later. Let's gather, let's watch, let's see what happens. If the other prophecies came to pass, surely this one will too. But no, that was not their expectation. But these ladies come. They find the tomb empty. Now let me ask you this. This is the question. Did he literally, bodily, physically come out of that grave? Now, it was empty, which means one of two things. God raised him up or man stole his body. Man took his body. Now, let me ask you this. Did his enemies take his body? Matter of fact, they were making sure. Look what it says in chapter 27, the previous chapter, going back to Matthew. Verse 62, the next day, the, the following day, uh, the day that followed the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together into Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. So they did remember. They were going to take precautionary measures. Verse 64, command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night, And steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead, so that the last heir shall be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went, made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So obviously it wasn't his enemies because they took all the precautionary measures necessary to make sure that no one could steal his body. And it definitely wasn't the disciples or his followers because they didn't even believe that he was going to be crucified and they didn't believe after three days he'd be resurrected. They didn't even show up. It was simply the ladies. So what happened? Go with me to Luke chapter 24 and keep a finger here in Matthew 28 because we'll be coming back in just a minute. Luke chapter 24. These Scribes and Pharisees, Pilate, and Roman soldiers—did they believe that it would just be his soul that was resurrected? If that were the case, there were no need to set guards outside of the tomb. They believed that he was prophesying of a bodily resurrection, something physical that would take place. Look what it says in verse thirty-six, Luke twenty-four, verse thirty-six. And as he thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst. He's resurrected. He says unto them, peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. But was he just a spirit? They couldn't believe that this man that had been so brutally beaten and crucified was now standing before them made whole. Verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Now, here's what I think we do as we read Scripture. We don't imagine the moment. We don't put ourselves there. Imagine having seen or, if not witnessed, you at least heard of the brutality and what Christ had suffered. It was unquestionable that Christ had died. That was not debatable. He had been placed in the tomb. Your hopes were dashed. Your dreams were gone. You thought this man, it's over. Now he's standing in front of you and he says unto them, Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet, while they yet believed not for joy. And wondered, he said to them, Have ye here any meat? They gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb. He took it and did eat before them. And he said to them, These are the words which I spake unto you. While I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. They had never understood those prophecies made concerning his death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 46, he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and arise rise from the dead the third day. Now, here's what we have to understand. God had a plan. God, when he created man, knew that man would fall. He knew that man would sin. He also knew that sin had to be punished. And God, in his love and mercy knew that without the shedding of blood there was no remission he chose his son he sent the perfect sacrifice christ lived 33 perfect years at the end of his life he was taken beaten and crucified and shed his blood so that we might have the remission of sins that was the plan for the very beginning it was a perfect plan it was so precisely executed That Christ, listen, you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 12 and you see the Passover lamb, and all that was symbolic of the sinless lamb of God that would come and lay down his life for all mankind. And guess when Christ was crucified? The time of the Passover. What a coincidence. Now, all of this to the disciples was overwhelming. All of this for them, listen, it was dark, it was bleak. They couldn't understand what God was doing. But God was executing His perfect plan. And listen, in these days, it's easy as a believer, whether it's uh, because of the situation or the the economy or uh, because of health issues, it's easy to see things as dark and bleak and maybe God doesn't know what He's doing. And God, I, I wish you'd explain to me what's going on, but God does have a plan and here's what he said listen the angel when those ladies showed up and they saw the empty tomb here's what he, the angel wanted to remind these ladies he is not here he is risen just as he said why are you shocked why are you fearful why are you crying why are you panicking he prophesied all this you know what christ said when he got back with the disciples He opened their understanding, but he said, I've already preached this. I've already taught this. This is exactly what I told you. I don't know why there's any surprise. I don't know why there's any shock. I don't know why there's any misunderstanding. He couldn't have been any clearer. But despite that, when they show up, go back to verse, go back to chapter 28 of Matthew. He is not there. The grave was empty. Now. Did he physically, bodily, raise from the dead? Yes, he showed up. He ate with them. He showed them his hands and his feet and the prints of the nails. The angel says he is risen. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and these other ladies that were there, they believe, verse 7, they're told to go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you, verse 8, they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great rejoicing. Look what they did. How often do you see grown women running? Not very often. They did run to bring. They obviously believed that he was risen. So we have an empty tomb, we have the word of an angel, we have women that have believed and are running to tell the news. They go to the disciples, verse 9, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hell. They came and held him by the feet and they worshipped him. So now we have the disciples believing. Now at first they struggled a little bit. Thomas doubted, he said, until I put my hands in the prints of those nails until I see him face to face. I simply won't believe. That's why he's referred to as Doubting Thomas. But we see that they were so changed. Listen, this fearful group that abandoned Christ at the moment of his death, now they're willing not just to suffer for his name, but also to die for his name. Uh, You know why? They were totally convinced that Christ had risen from the dead. Go with me to Acts chapter 1. Every time you see Peter and the apostles preach from this point forward, they're speaking of the resurrected Lord. Look what it says in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Speaking, Peter is preaching to thousands and thousands of people there in Jerusalem. It says, him, Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. He said, this was already predetermined. You simply were used by God to accomplish his will. You have taken by wicked hands. You've crucified him and slain him. Look what it says, verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosened the pains of death. Look what it says in chapter 3. Peter's preaching once again. Verse 14. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murder to be granted unto you. You killed the prince of life. Look what it says. Whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Go to chapter 5, verse 29. Then Peter, the other apostles, answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom he slew and hanged on a tree. So not only do we see an empty tomb, not only do we see an angel confirming it, not only do we see these women immediately believe it, they go and tell the disciples. The disciples believe it. They're so convinced. They see the Christ. They speak to him. They eat with him. Uh, He goes out while they're fishing and meets with them. They eat together together they're totally convinced, and every time Peter and the apostles open their mouths from this point on, they're speaking of the resurrected Christ. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul, although not read of Paul, Paul was known as the man that was constantly preaching of the resurrection. But in 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says this in verse Three. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, that he was seen of Cephas then of the twelve, and that he was seen above five hundred brethren at once. That's a lot of witnesses. Can you imagine you're with someone from a different country, you're driving down the road and You see an American flag, and they say, that's our flag that represents this country. And if you know a little bit of history, maybe you go back and say, you know what? The year was 1776. The American people were tired of the British rule. They came up with a document that we call the Declaration of Independence. Now, I know it's thought that Those people gathered together on July the 4th and signed it, but actually that day only one man signed it, and over the course of a month, the majority signed it the following month in August. But there were 56 men, and they paid a great price for signing that document. Many sacrificed not just their homes, but as well their families and their fortunes to sign the Declaration of Independence. Now, how many believe in the Declaration of Independence? Did you know there are only 56 signers and less than 500 witnesses? And you are convinced that's a real... How you ever seen that document? And you still believe. And the Bible tells us there were over 500 that saw the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Now, look what it says in verse 12. What is the importance of this? Paul states it very, very clearly in verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead... How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then what do we have? Preaching is in vain. Why in the world would we come to church? Why in the world would we have uh, preaching? Why in the world would we listen to sermon after sermon? If Christ is dead and did not come out of that tomb, we have no hope. Our faith is vain. Our preaching is vain. Your time in this building this morning is in vain. Look what it says. Your faith is also in vain, verse 17. If Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Did you know the gospel is the resurrection? What did Paul say in verse 3 and 4? The gospel includes his death, his burial, but that wasn't enough. Because you're attacking, when you attack the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ... You're attacking his divinity. I remember a few years ago, I spoke to a Muslim. And he said, well, Christ was just a good man. And just a good prophet as many other prophets. I said, that cannot be true. If he went about talking speaking of being the son of God, being divine, being God in the flesh, he was either a lunatic, a liar, or God in the flesh, But no good man would walk around claiming to be God. When we went to Philippians, here's what Paul said of Christ in Philippians, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God. Now, here's what we have to understand about the resurrection. This morning, before we get to the main point, It's very obvious we as Christians believe that Christ physically, bodily arose from the grave. And more and more you see in this generation, people, even those that go to church, those that claim to be religious, are denying a physical, a literal, a bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think that way, your faith is in vain. Jesus Christ is alive today, sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Now, go back with me to Matthew chapter 28. We are called independent Baptists. As independent Baptists, we believe in baptism by immersion. There's a reason for that. Romans chapter 6 Verse 4 and 5 says that baptism is symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a baptistry tank. When someone gets baptized, we say this, buried with him in the likeness of his death, risen to walk in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, every time we baptize someone, that symbolically it's a perpetual testimony of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's what I want you to see. The different responses to Christ. Because in Matthew 28. I'm not amazed by his resurrection. I have, I was born and raised in a Christian home. And I knew at a young age. The story of Jesus. And I believed as a child. That he had been crucified. Buried and three days later. He rose from the grave. But I'm amazed by those. That saw the crucifixion. They saw him Listen, when, when you see the way he responded, when you see the natural phenomena that took place, when it, it, the, from the darkness to the earthquake, hearing him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, it's hard to imagine that someone would look, watch, observe, and not believe that this was the very Son of God. Now, I know the Bible tells us of two thieves. And... One sat there and reviled with the crowd the Son of God. The other one took a look, and he listened. He observed and said, you know what? I'm believing. He confessed with his mouth, believed in his heart, and said, remember me today. Please remember me. And uh, you know what Christ said? Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. But we see just a handful. We see the centurion go back with me to chapter 27, verse 54. We see the centurion responded. Now, when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. So there were a few believers. But go back with me for a minute to Matthew chapter 28. I want you to think about those that stood guard outside that tomb. Now, do you really think, those that were standing guard, they expected something to happen? I think they stood there relaxed. I bet some of their family brought them some food. They slept that night not expecting the stone to be rolled away, not expecting an angel to show up, not expecting an earthquake and somewhere around the third day an earthquake now that alone will change your day we have felt minor tremors living in Mexico City I remember the first time we're there is around 2001 there was a minor tremor and just just that minor movement makes you a little bit nervous I cannot imagine as the ground shakes Two angels descend, and that large rock, that rock that took many men to put into place, an angel, I don't know how, but suddenly, quickly moves that stone and sits down on top of it. His countenance is like lightning, and you see the impact. Yeah. They literally fell down like dead men. Now, don't you think if you were there, you were a doubter, you said, you know, he talked about coming out of the grave. You know, he talked about rising from the dead. Uh, But it's a joke. It's not going to happen. We have to stay here. We have to seal this tomb. We have to watch and make sure that no one comes and steals his body. So we'll be here a few days, and after four or five days, we'll be able to leave, and nothing will have changed. Everything will be fine. But three days in things suddenly, drastically change. You're laying there speechless on the ground. Now, probably at first, they fainted. And then when they woke up, they're trying to remember what had happened, and then they see the angel, maybe they faint again. Now, you got to remember, back in those days, if a Roman guard didn't do his duty, and someone escaped, it was their life for his life. This meant whoever was standing guard most likely was going to face death. So maybe when that reality hit them again, they fainted again. I don't know, but whatever the case, when these ladies showed up, they're still there laying down on the ground like dead men. How many you ever seen a dead man? It's pretty lifeless, right? That's the way they looked at this moment. So, the ladies leave, the angels leave, At what point these men get up, we don't know. Don't you think that they would have become believers somewhere in the next 25 minutes? Don't you think they would have said for an angel to come out of heaven, for a stone like that to be rolled away, for the tomb to be empty, the clothes and the linens are all properly folded and in their place. There's no smell of death in that tomb. What does it take for man to believe? You couldn't have anything more impressive than this. I wouldn't doubt if these were men that saw the crucifixion. So they had already had enough evidence. They had already heard enough and seen enough to turn to Christ in repentance and say, you know what, we doubted you for a little bit. We doubted you at the moment. But anybody that comes out of the grave Surely must be the son of God. Now, hold on for a second. Let's see what the response was. Verse 11. Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed on the chief priests all the things that were done. So what do they do? They come and talk to the chief priest and say, we were standing there. We, We were exactly where we were supposed to be, doing exactly what we were supposed to be doing, Basically. They probably had already prearranged with each other. Don't tell them all the details. We're relaxing and, and uh, eating and, and having a good time, never expecting anything to go wrong. But they tell the chief priests, and when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night, stole him away while we slept, and if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him, secure you. They said, listen, if you do what we tell you... You won't have to fear being in prison or losing your life. Your prisoner is gone. Just tell them that the disciples came. No, but it wasn't disciples. I promise you, these were angels. The countenance was like the countenance of lightning. One of them moved that rock that took all of us, great effort and energy, to move. And he was gone, and there was no stench. There was no... Now... We've been in Mexico for nine years. Gone to many funerals. In those countries, Only they don't embalm a person upon death, which means you have about 24 hours. Because after that, the stench is incredible. And it so permeates a place that you can't get rid of it. And three days later, listen, the stench in that place, if he would have seen corruption, would have been so nauseating. Everyone entering that tomb would have known. His body was decaying and someone came and stole his body from this place. But there was no stench. Everything was in order. They said, take this money. Verse 15. So they took the money and did as they were taught. Now to me, this is the most most amazing part of the whole story. Man. Man in his pride, man in his stubbornness, man in his preconceived ideas, man with his tradition. Remember the story in Luke 16, the man in hell, he is tormented and he doesn't want his family to be tormented. So he says, would you send someone back from the dead to witness to my family? Uh, Would you send someone? And and here's here's what Christ said. Listen, it doesn't matter if Moses or some other prophet came out of the grave. They would not believe. You know how hard man's heart is? Man can sit in a pew and hear the gospel. Man can be confronted by the very word of God. It doesn't matter what man's belief is. If you open up this book and show him the gospel, if you show him, okay, You are lost in your sins. All men are sinners. You are lost. And the Bible says there's a wage. There's a payment. There's a penalty for that sin. That penalty is death and hell. A literal lake of fire. Did you know you could take someone to the scripture and show them verse after verse after verse that talks about hell and the torment of hell and the fire of hell and the darkness of hell and the anguish of hell and still man refuses to believe. You can tell them Jesus Christ came. It doesn't matter if you go to Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or Corinthians or Galatians. What book you take them to. And you speak to them of the sinless son of God that gave his life. And man still refuses to believe. You can take men that thinks by works or baptism or by church membership. And you take them to Titus. You can take them to Ephesians 2, You can talk to them that it's by grace through faith that you're saved. It's not of works it's clear the Bible is so plain and clear and men when confronted with the truth will still not believe and here's what we say well if God would do something forceful if God would do a miracle if God would speak out of heaven if God would send out lightning if God would allow them uh, to, to be faced with tragedy hold on for a minute don't get your hopes up man is so hard here sat those guards they saw an angel. The stone was rolled away. They knew the body was in the tomb. It's gone. There's no stench. The grave clothes are folded. Everything's in order. And they stand up. When they go to talk to the chief priest, they said, not a big deal. You know, it's probably a vision. You know what happened? You guys were staying up last night, joking around eating pizza at 12 o'clock, and you both had a dream. didn't, hey, take this cash... And go tell people, they came, took his body, and we'll leave it at that. Can you imagine those two men, we don't know how many stood guard. When Peter was in prison, we're talking about four men standing guard for a man that's in prison. So my guess would be there would be at least four soldiers or more standing guard at this tomb. Can you imagine them standing at the judgment seat? They were at the very tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ when the angels descended, the stone was rolled away, and he came out. I bet God, in his mercy, before they fainted, actually allowed them to see Christ walk out. And you know what their response was? Salvation is this simple. What's Romans 10, 9 and 10 say? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Don't you think with salvation being that simple that seven billion people on this planet, the majority would be saved? Don't you think that the majority would already give their heart and soul to Christ? Don't you think that people would say, listen, religion has made it complicated. And, and if you go to interreligion, they'll say, well, if you meet these rules, if you meet these requirements, if you do these things, uh, hopefully, maybe, possibly. Now, there's still a chance that Joseph Smith may reject you. There's still a chance that Muhammad may reject you. There's still a chance that you may not gain entrance into heaven. But try your best. Do what you can. Work your way in. And the Bible says, confess and believe, repent of your sins, Trust Him as your Savior. That sounds to me like a good deal. That sounds to me like it's simple enough that everyone with common sense on the planet would say, if that's all it takes, if it's just Jesus Christ, if it's not a good work, if I can have salvation, I want it and I want it right now. But not only is it simple. Listen, it's so simple that that thief that was crucified beside Christ said, Lord, Remember me, when thou comest in thy kingdom. That was, that was his prayer of salvation. Think about it, folks. That was it. They'd seen it. They'd heard it. And they watched Christ in love and grace and mercy say today, you've received forgiveness. You have a home in heaven. And man is so stubborn. Angels descend. Stone rolled away. Christ walks out. They're laying there, now obviously it had an impact because how many of you have ever been so impacted that you were laying on the ground like a dead man? Anybody? I've been scared before, I've scared people before. I've had people wanna lay me out like a dead man before for (laughs) scaring them. But I've never yet seen someone lay on the ground, the impact was so great because of that circumstance, they literally fainted, fell over, stayed on the ground, Late, they're like a dead man. But when they got up, listen, that day, one moment could have changed their life. But they would have had to address their pride. Say, we've been wrong about this fellow. We've been wrong in our belief. You know what is right? He's right. He is the Savior, He is the Son of God, He is divinity. If they simply would have admitted that, they could have fallen right there on their knees and they could have repented of their sins. Listen, you say, well, what did they know? They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a preacher. They didn't have a church. They didn't have an invitation. They didn't hear the music. They didn't hear the preaching. They had the world's greatest message. Listen, when we talk about messages, it wasn't the day of Pentecost and it wasn't the Sermon on the Mount and it wasn't Paul on Mars Hill. We're talking this was the greatest message of all time. You're standing there. You see it happen. The impact is so great, you fall. You're already in position to be saved. You're on your face before the risen Savior. Now's the time to cry out for mercy and get born again. But no, they don't. Because man's heart is hard. The message is twofold this morning. If you have never been born again... You're lying to yourself by saying there's a perfect moment. When that perfect moment takes place, I'll get saved. Because the perfect moment, can you imagine those that could have said, I got saved at the foot of Calvary. I saw prophecy fulfilled and the Messiah crucified and I knelt down and trusted Christ as my Savior right there. I cried out for mercy and only just a couple did. They had a perfect moment. These soldiers had a perfect moment. And I have watched people sit in church. The perfect moment. There's a knowledge of their sin. There's a knowledge of the need. There's a knowledge of what God requires to get to heaven. And man still in pride. resists the truth. How many have died and gone to hell? Because they kept waiting for the perfect moment. Kept saying at some point, yeah, you have to convince me. Guess what? You will never be convinced because your pride won't allow you to see the truth. You could be laying on the ground like a dead man and still reject the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then, Christian, let me say this, and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians 15 55 says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? And it's a blessing to know that Christ conquer death. Amen. Revelation 1.18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and of death. The grave couldn't hold him. Death couldn't harm him. That stone couldn't darken the light of the world. He came forth victorious. Now, you would think knowing that, we wouldn't live fearful. Have you ever thought about what in life upsets us? Have you ever thought about what overwhelms you? You know what? I'd say, let's let's go back and think about the last time you were overwhelmed. We probably wouldn't have to go back a month. Maybe a few days. Maybe this morning. You you didn't get your coffee hot. (laughs) You had a flat tire. Your wife was late. That new dress that you wanted to wear on Easter morning was stained. I'm just telling you, we in life are so easily overwhelmed... Now, they had a reason to be overwhelmed. These disciples had, Mary Magdalene, when she comes crying, you've got to understand, here's a woman whose life was was horrific before she met Christ. Can you imagine living possessed by seven demons, controlled by seven demons? Your life's out of control. He comes, casts out those demons. Your life changes, and now suddenly he is dead, and everyone around you is mocking you and mocking your faith. Mary was overwhelmed, but she had a reason to be overwhelmed. How many believe Jesus Christ is risen? You know what? We have a book. We have a book that tells us that Christ prophesied these things, and then he fulfilled them. We have a book that tells us God had a plan and then he fulfilled the plan. Did you realize, Christ, that that, that God did not struggle a single one of those days? He was not concerned. He said at the right time, the right moment, Christ is coming out of that grave. Everything is going to be made right. And as Christians, here's what we do. We don't see his plan. We don't understand what he's doing. And things get a little bit out of control. Things look a little bit dark. And what's our response? Our response, by the way we act, is really saying, I don't know if I trust God. I don't know if He really does have a plan. And if He does have a plan, I'm having a hard time believing His plan is perfect. But it is. Now, here's the message from Matthew 28, verse 6. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, then there's an invitation. Come. Come and see. Now, here's what I'm inviting you to do this morning. If you're not saved, come and see. Come and see that God can change your life. Come and see that salvation is free. Come and see that He will forgive sin, every sin, and give you eternal life. And if you're a Christian this morning, you know what you need to do, you need to take a look at that tomb again and say, okay, when things look dark and bleak and hopeless, I need to go back to the tomb and understand. God's in control.